Thank you for returning tonight to continue our study of David. Working on faith walkers this year on Sunday evenings, looking for people that walked by faith and seeing if we can learn a few things from them. And uh, we tackled a great character of the Bible first on our third lesson about David. So we'll see if we can learn a few more things about him tonight and about faith walking. Well, so far in David, we've got the, the pattern of a faith walker. Got a young man that started out at home, not too recognized, kind of the youngest son, so he had to do the, the worst mundane jobs, and his big brothers were a little more well-known than him, And but God picked him to be king. So he got anointed king at a very young age. Then he gets into this amazing battle with Goliath and becomes the champion of all Israel. And the path is just straight up from there. Everything's going to go good. That's the way faith walking works. But when you're dealing with God, it's just one continual rise to the top. Some of you are squinting at me a little bit. Some of you have read enough about the story of David to know that no, it's not one continuous wonderful thing to walk by faith. There's some down times. There's some hills and valleys. There's a little roller coaster sometimes. But that's why they call it walking by faith. <laughs> if it was all easy and all straight up here and all that, you could walk by sight. But David, after he's won the battle with Goliath, his fortunes just keep going up for a while, but then things get worse. So that's the little period of David's life we're going to look at tonight, is immediately after his victory over Goliath and his immediate fame, and then when it all falls apart. And we're going to take him down to the bottom, pretty much, of this period of his life. He'll have some other low points later, but right now, this is when he's still a young man. He's had all this uh, fame and uh, Fabulous attention, and things aren't going to go so well. So the way we're going to look at it, uh, we're actually covering about seven chapters uh, from First Samuel 18 through verse 24, and we're obviously not going to read those in very much detail. Uh, most of the stories in 18 and 19, but you can read the rest of it on your own. After, in fact, after you've heard this, you may want to go back and read it and get the all the facts just right. But Instead of going chronologically, just right through it, we're going to do it in relationships. He had a number of relationships in this period of time. So we're going to analyze those, and we're going to start with Saul, his relationship with Saul at the beginning. And we're going to see that Saul had great trust in David, and David was in submission to Saul. Things were going well. So let's read a couple of verses and get that in our mind. Chapter 18 and verse 2. Uh, we are going to read all these verses that I put on your handout. So if you want to get your Bible open to 18 and 19, you'll be ready. Uh, verse 2, after the Goliath killing thing, uh, verse 2 says, From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. 
Okay? So remember, when David was a young boy, he went to comfort Saul by playing the harp. We went through all of that, and he went back and forth. He went home and took care of the sheep until Saul needed him, then he'd go back. Same thing while he was, uh, after he fought Goliath. But now Saul likes him so much, he decides to keep him. And down in the first part of verse 5, it says, Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. Okay, so here's our relationship with Saul. Saul decides he likes his kid. Uh, David's good. He, he, everything he does, he does it right. And David does whatever Saul tells him. Now, that doesn't seem strange since Saul's the king, except if you think about David's the anointed king. You might have a little attitude problem if you knew you were going to replace this guy. But David doesn't seem to. He does whatever Saul requests. And he does it well. And through, I think, about four times in this chapter, it says David prospered. He does well, and he just keeps getting more blessings, and everything's going right, and things are going well. Okay. Now, at the same time, he had a relationship with Jonathan, the son of Saul, and it was a relationship of mutual friendship. Let's read those verses. 18 verse 1 says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself, as himself. Okay? David and Jonathan, best friends. And a lot of this uh, passage through 18 through 24 here is about that friendship. And I picked out just a few instances from here to show you how tight that friendship was. And it may tell you something about David and Jonathan, but it might also tell you something about your friendships. Uh, if you think you've got a good friend and it's not like this description, they might not be a good friend. Uh, 18 verse 4 says, uh, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave David everything he had. We've got a slogan, a saying we say, you know, that guy would give me the shirt off his back. You know, well, that's what Jonathan did. Uh, David was new to the palace. He'd come in. He was going to be working for Saul, and Jonathan fixed him up. Jonathan sacrificed for him. A good friend will sacrifice for you. Go over to chapter 19, verse 4. It says, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He's not wrong to you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. And if you read the in-between, the rest of 18, this is after Saul turned on David. So Saul doesn't like David anymore. He's jealous of him. He wants to kill him. And Jonathan's sticking up for him. Jonathan's defending David. I mean, he's talking to the king. Yeah, it's his daddy, but he's still talking to the king, who's crazy, by the way, if you remember that. And he says, don't bother David. David hasn't done anything to you. You know, let him go. Chapter 20 is an interesting story at the end of chapter 20. Uh, this is after they decide that David has to run away completely, full time, get out of the palace, get away from Saul because he's going to kill him. After they've decided that, after they've tested Saul out, 
there it is. Uh, After the boy, that's the archery story that you can read. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. This friendship had to separate. David had to go away. David had to give up everything that he had. All that success we've talked about, all that fame that we're going to talk about. He had to leave. And how did Jonathan handle that? Did he give him some platitudes like, it's going to be all right. God will take care of you. No, he just wept with him. He just grieved with him. Maybe that's what a friend does, is grieve with you or rejoice with you. And then let's go to 23 and get the last one. 23, when Jonathan got back together after quite a while with him. Verses 15 and 16. uh, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will, be, you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. So Jonathan had no doubt great risk because Saul was so far after David. He was so crazed about that that I'm sure he would have killed Jonathan too. And Jonathan went and warned him and encouraged him. said, you're going to be all right. My father's not going to hurt you. You are going to be king. There are just four little pieces out of this story that uh, show you the kind of relationship, the friendship that Jonathan and Saul, uh, Jonathan and David had. All right. Now, done Saul, done Jonathan. Let's look at the people of Israel. This is interesting. Go back to 18, the end of verse 5. Saul, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people. And Saul's officers as well. All the people, plus the officers in the army, said, David's all right. He's our man. This is good. We like him. Go down to 18, verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. All Israel and Judah loved this guy. He had 99% approval rating. If they did polls back then, everybody thought he was doing a good job. Everybody loved him. And then 18, verse 23, uh, oh, this is David's response to all of that. Did he get the big head? Did he think, all right, I'm doing pretty good here. Everybody loves me. This is when David or Saul wanted to give him, offered him a wife, one of his daughters. David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. Look how he handled this fame. All Israel, all Judah loved him. The whole army loved him. They thought he was the greatest thing ever happened. And what did he say? I'm a poor man and little known. Responded with that humility. So his relationship with the people was they loved him, they elevated him, they adored him. And he stayed humble. He didn't think he was anything special. Now, things change a little more here. His relationship with Saul 
the last part of Saul's life, is one of extreme jealousy from Saul's part, but David stays in submission. Learning about faith walking here. So let's go back to 18, verse 8. Now, what happened between verse 2 and verse 8, when Saul loved him so much that he kept him full time and gave him all these jobs and promotions, was that David got famous. The people's response, their elevation, their adoration, Saul heard that stuff. In fact, people went around singing a song Uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. I don't know if that's exactly true, but that's the way they treated it. The way they thought about David. He's he's better than Saul. Well, that Saul was already goofy, but this one flipped him clear out. He he couldn't handle this. The jealousy got out of control. Verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Verse 21 of that same chapter. David or Saul offered David his daughter in marriage, but it was a ploy. What he really wanted to do was get David killed. Okay, So he said, I'll let you marry Michael, uh, but I need you to go kill a hundred Philistines. Okay, his plan was, David goes messing with a hundred Philistines, that he'll get killed. I'll be done with him. I won't have to mess with him anymore. Uh, and it said, uh, yeah, verse 21, see if I can find that. Yeah, I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And it's even clearer down in verse 24, when Saul, uh, Saul, at the end of verse 24, verse 25, Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. Okay, so that was his plan. He was going to get him killed that way. And then in verse 29, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained the enemy the rest of his days. It gets so bad that down in 19 verse 1, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Okay, so here's what happened. And just in one chapter, in our telling of it anyway, Saul loved him. He was at the top of the game. He's getting all these promotions, all that, and then he got jealous. Started trying to kill him, started throwing the spear at him. Uh, All those things went on. He fell completely from favor. The last relationship I put down here is the one with Michael, his wife, one of his wives actually, uh, but the daughter of Saul, Michael. And it's kind of confusing, a little complicated, I guess. Not that all marriages aren't complicated, but this one was a little extra complicated. Uh, Chapter 18 and verse 20, Michael was in love with David. She loved David. Now, remember, David was supposed to get a wife or a daughter of the king to marry, but we'd turned one down before this, and now he offers her Michael because Michael was in love with him. And things go okay at first, it seems, over in chapter 19, 
verse 11 is David was in my, with Michael in their house and Saul sent men to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him. If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So she took sides with David. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. And when Saul's men came in to capture David, Michael said, he's ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, uh, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and the head with some goat's hair. So Saul said to Michael, Daddy said to daughter, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Now listen to this. Michael told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made him escape. So she lied to Saul. She kind of betrayed him here. And the rest of the story about Michael and David, we never know exactly they never seem to get back in a right relationship. The only story we've got about them later is when David danced in the streets and he and Michael don't seem to get along at all. But whether the relationship ended because of this betrayal and all that, we don't know. But he still had to leave Michael. Okay? Because right after this, he had to flee. Now that's what happens in 20, through 24, and we're not going to read any of those, but I'll just tell you the general picture of it, is Saul got so bad that here David had to leave his house and get away. He tested it with Jonathan, the famous archery story. Uh, Jonathan said, I'll check with Saul. He said, I don't think my dad wants to kill you, but I'll check. And he checked, and Saul didn't want to kill him. So he got word to David and said, no, you've got to get out of here. You've got to leave completely. So that's what chapter 20 is about. So David fled uh, after Jonathan warned him to flee. In chapter 21, David starts this wandering, this running, this fugitive thing of trying to get away from Saul and stay away from Saul. He goes to a priest. He's so hungry that he goes to a priest and begs for bread. Okay, Remember, this was the champion of Israel a couple of weeks ago, now he's in the, at the priest's begging for bread because he's starving to death. Uh, next, he goes to Gath. We're talking about getting down toward the bottom here. When you've got to seek refuge in Gath, where you are not a real popular guy. Okay, <laughs> He had killed their champion. And he evidently snuck in there thinking he wouldn't be recognized, but they recognized him. So here's the future king of Israel that used to be over all the armies and all of this stuff we just read about. He's in Gath with the Philistines. They recognize him. They think, isn't that David that killed Goliath? And he goes into a crazy act to escape. He acts like he's out of his mind, and he scrawls things on the gates, and he drools on his beard. And he has to play a crazy man to escape. Okay? So that happens in 21. Chapter 22, if you think we're at the bottom yet, he goes and has to live in a cave. He goes to the cave of Abdullam to hide out from, John, uh, from Saul. 
Saul's still after him. And if you read all the chapters, you'll see Saul just keeps coming. And David keeps going different places. uh, Saul starts killing priests so he can find David. And it gets to be quite a fugitive story. But now David's hiding in a cave. And at the start of 22, we will read a little bit here. David escaped to the cave of Abdullam. Now, he did have one little positive thing here, maybe, is his family came to see him. I say maybe it's positive. Uh, It says when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. I think probably they might have been in danger too. Saul might have had a watch on them and saying, Bubba ever shows up, you better bring him to me. So maybe they were trying to escape too. I don't know. But anyhow, they went to the cave. At least he got to see his family. And then (laughs) here comes his crew. Okay, he was leading the army. He had great job uh, positions in the army, and he was successful, and he fought great battles and all that. Now look at his crew. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. He had about 400. He had a motley crew. This was everybody in Israel that was in debt so bad that they couldn't pay it off, that was discontented with the king, that had some kind of problems, that were in distress. Half of them were probably crazy. Who knows? But they heard David was out here hiding in the cave. They went, we want to be your crew. Now, we've fallen a little ways, haven't we? From the champion of Israel the one that everybody loves, the one that's successful in everything he does, we're living in a cave with 400 malcontents. And that's our army. Well, where have we got to in this faith walk? I thought God was supposed to bless us. I thought God was supposed to make things good. Went the other direction, didn't it? But the question is, After he's lost everything, had to leave his friend, had to leave his position, had to leave his fame, had to leave his wife, everything he had, he's gone now. He's living in a cave with 400 malcontents. What's he got left? Well, only thing he needs. He's still got God. If, you, if you're faith walking, you've always got God. Now, what I did to try to illustrate that is I picked out three poems or three psalms, and we're going to look at parts of them. Let's go over to Psalm 142. And the reason I picked these is two of them specifically say they were written while he was in the cave. Okay, psalm 142 and Psalm 57 were both specifically mentioned that he wrote them in the cave. And then Psalm 25, a lot of scholars think he wrote that in the cave. At the very least, he still had enemies. Uh, But there's a little progression in these, I think. They're all very similar, but I think they're worth looking at. Uh, And keep in mind, the whole time we read these, where we are now, where we've fallen from, and how far we've fallen. All right, Psalm 142, written in the cave, I cry aloud to the Lord. Okay, so he said, here's what I prayed. This is my prayer. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. 
I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. Here's where David is now. The guy that all of Israel and Judah loved. He said, nobody cares. There's absolutely nobody concerned about me. I'm in the cave with 400 losers. That's all I got. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue from me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Got nothing left. Friend, position, army, job, wife, got nothing. And so his prayer is, you got to get me out of this. Well, nobody else cares for me. So you got to do this. You, you hear my cry. I'm in desperate need. You rescue me. I, I can't whip them by myself. Saul's got too many men. And I got 400 guys that don't know how to fight. You know, set me free from this prison so I may praise your name and the, the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Where's he end up? He, he wants God to be glorified. You get me out of this so people will see how powerful you are. It's still not all about him. Okay, great psalm, amazing psalm. All right, let's go to 57, Psalm 57. And he's still there in the cave, but he seems to have a little bit more of a confident spirit. It would be interesting to know what date these were written and put them in the right order, but he seems to be... Coming around a little bit here in Psalm 57. Have mercy on me. Read there in the heading. It says, uh, when he had fled from Saul into the cave, he wrote this. Uh, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves the rebuking, uh, and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends His love and His faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I don't have any proof, but I, I think he might be talking about the 400 there. Remember, they were discontents. They were debtors. They were in trouble. They had got out of Israel because they didn't fit for some reason. And maybe David's talking about them. I'm surrounded by guys who all they do is sit around and complain about everything. Their tongues are sharp swords. Or maybe he's talking about his other enemies. I don't know. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they've fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That sounds a little different, doesn't it? He still knows he's in trouble. Still got everybody after him. He's still asking to be rescued. But he says, I think I'll make some music. He was a musician. So he broke the harp out and he said, I'm going to start singing first thing in the morning. And I'm going to trust you to get me out of here. Now, Psalm 25 doesn't specifically say it was written in the, the cave, but he still got enemies. He talks about that in here. And we're just going to read the first part and the last part of this one. And if it sounds familiar, it's Psalm 794, by the way. Uh, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. I go to the last part, verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. There's three Psalms of David that if you're a faith walker and you ever get to the bottom or headed toward the bottom, you might break out those psalms. You might think about how David walked by faith when, to all appearances, to sight, he was at the bottom and wasn't any way up out of the cave. But we'll read the rest of the story in the weeks ahead, and we'll find out he did rally from the cave. All right, now some lessons out of that, and you can think of many more than these, but if you want to discuss something with your group or friends or something, try some of these on. Uh, it occurred to me, sometimes we wish we knew the future. That'd be a really bad thing to know the future. What if immediately after David whipped Goliath, God said, oh, by the way, what's going to happen next is <laughs> you're going to get sent to the palace and get famous, and then Saul's going to turn on you and try to kill you. You're going to have to flee. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose your best friend. You're going to live, end up living in a cave. Wouldn't that be fun to know? <laughs> not the way God does it. It's not the way he deals with us. We think we'd like to know what's coming. But all we can do is deal with what happens. And that's what David did. He dealt with one problem at a time, handled the first one and second one and third one and right on down and kept his faith in God, kept asking God to deliver him even when he was clear at the bottom in the cave. So knowing the future wouldn't be that cool a thing. Uh, second thing I thought of is submission to authority 
worked. Now, if anybody ever had reason to not submit to authority, I mean, if your boss is chucking spears at you at work, you know, you probably want to look for another job. You might want to not nicely submit. Now, David did flee, but he still honored Saul. He, in fact, forgot to write that down. Chapter 24, verse 5. Uh, turn over there if you still got your finger in there. They were in the cave. Saul came into the cave. David, instead of killing, all his friends told him, kill him. He's here. This is perfect. God sent him in here so you can kill him. David sneaked up to him and cut off part of his robe. And listen to what he says in verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. For having cut off a corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Okay, So that's the way he thought about it. Saul, yeah, he's trying to kill me. Yeah, he's crazy. But God hadn't taken away his role yet. He's still the king, and i got to honor him. So I shouldn't be doing these kinds of things. I certainly shouldn't kill him. And he told Saul that later at the end of chapter 24 there. But the point is, all this submission, which doesn't seem right to us, it worked. Long term, when we get to the rest of the story, uh, we'll see that David prospered again. In fact, at the end of 24 there, once Saul figured out what was going on, he said he wasn't going to hurt him anymore. But uh, the the submission thing worked. Third thing I put down is a good friend helps in your faith walk. Read through these few chapters and see how often Jonathan encouraged and helped and defended and all of that. Had to be a big plus for David. Didn't have anybody else on his side. And the last thing I put down is David didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, he was still the humble guy. He still said, I'm just a poor man and a little known. Okay. The people were celebrating him, and that's what Saul got mad about. But it would have been real easy for David to say, what did I do to deserve this? You know, he didn't seem to ever think that way. It's just the next challenge, and you keep doing the right thing, and you keep trusting in God, and you just keep going on, and God will reward you, or he won't. But it doesn't matter. You still walk by faith. Now, we look for some reason... That we deserve all these bad things. There isn't sometimes. And sometimes we cause our own trouble. But David sure didn't cause his own trouble. He was humble and submissive and did everything he was supposed to do. And he still got in trouble. So maybe those will help you apply the, the lessons of David's life a little bit. All right, we'll tackle a little bit more of uh, David's story next week and see if it goes up or down. Can't go any further down, so it's going to have to go up probably. All right, thank you for your attention tonight. If you're here and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that. If you have some uh, public need, need the attention of this congregation, won't you come while we stand and sing?